I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. I'm also excited to announce that the Karen Lewis Eating Disorder Center is expanding throughout the country. If you are an experienced, well-trained therapist with lived experience, whose clinical approach aligns with the values represented in these podcast episodes, or if you are seeking treatment, we would love to hear from you. Please go to our website, KarenLewisEDC.com. All right, everyone, here we go. Another episode of Recovery Bites. We have this really beautiful soul on today. Her name is Merit Elizabeth. And Merit is a recovery coach, almost in the sense of giving back to what she wished she had had when she was experiencing her eating disorder. It's a really incredible model using recovery coaches to help outside of therapeutic sessions. And I think it's really great. And we also touch on just the toxicity of being a college student in such a diet culture society. So let's just jump right in. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am sitting here with this incredible soul that I just met, but I already feel this great connection. I would like to introduce everyone to the show, Merit Elizabeth. Merit, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so awesome being here. I'm, I've been looking forward to this for so long, so this is great. I'm I'm so thrilled to have you here. We're going to be talking about recovery coaching. We're going to be talking what I really want to talk about is eating disorders in the college environment and how to support families. So before we get into that, Merritt, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Merritt Elizabeth Staley. I am a CCI certified eating disorder recovery coach um, specializing in the health and wellness of adolescent um, and young women. And I graduated from Southern Methodist University in Dallas in 2018 with degrees in journalism, French studies, and fashion media. And I landed my dream job in Los Angeles um, shortly after that, where I moved and I was working there for about a year and a half. Um, at the same time, I was peer mentoring um, with ANAD. So I was doing the, you know, recovery support. It was just texting. It was really simple. And it was so fulfilling. I absolutely loved it. So I decided to kind of drop my my job there and move back to Dallas um, to get my, my master's degree and do the um, CCI certification. So can you let everybody know what the CCI certification is? Because I know it because I've known Carolyn forever, but not everybody knows. And it, it's fantastic. So go ahead. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's the, the Carolyn Costin Institute. It's a certification program, um, training eating disorder recovery coaches. So share a little bit with the listeners first. Well, actually I was going to say share, let's talk about what recovery coaches do and things like that. But first let's just get a little history about what what went on, what, you know, your struggle, you had an eating disorder and, and then we'll go into your, your transition from, you know, from fashion into recovery coaching. So let's, let's just talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, my eating disorder really started around the age of 14. Um, this is when Instagram was really becoming huge social media. Um, I had Facebook, all of it. So I, I think I struggled with anorexia first and this struggle turned into kind of a a cycle, anorexia, bulimia, you know, as it does, depending on where I was in life. Um, It went in phases and it lasted for about seven years. Um, And from there, I I kind of found recovery my my last year of college um, when I was, I would say 20. So I am almost five years recovered now. Say what it is that drew you to recovery coaching, because it is a really, really special, sacred, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Service. I don't even want to use the word service, but it's invaluable. And I have recovery coaches that work for me at my center, and it is some of the most important part of the work. So can you share a little bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. I doing the peer mentoring was so fulfilling. It was something that I kind of I wasn't getting in my other job that that deep um fulfillment in my soul, you know, that's a little bit cheesy, but <laughs> that's how I kind of describe it. Um and I came into contact with this amazing woman, Sarah Lee. She's another CCI coach. And I just kind of dropped into her contact form and I asked if she could just talk with me a little bit about what recovery coaching was. And we had an amazing like hour long phone call. We instantly connected and I just, she was like, you should do the CCI certification. I think you're really going to love it. And I think I signed up like, you know, I don't know, maybe the next week or something. (laughs) It was so funny. Um, It was the first year of my master's degree. And so it just felt right. I started it in the summer and I, yeah, I absolutely love the program and what I'm doing now. It just, it translates so well into my life, being able to share my story with other people. Yeah. One of the things that I'm wondering is how it's working now during the pandemic, because I know A lot of the recovery coaches that work for me do things like exposure out at restaurants. So you go to a restaurant with a client, exposure by going clothes shopping, because that can be challenging for people, exposure going to the supermarket. So how has it shifted due to the pandemic? And I'm assuming there's there's an even bigger need because people have been struggling so much. Right. And I think the beauty of this job is being able to coach virtually, you know, jumping on a FaceTime, a call, texting, um, Skype, Zoom, whatever. And it's so amazing being able to talk to people on the other side of the world because we have, you know, video chat like this. And I do a lot of meal support virtually. That's actually like, I think the bulk of the meal support that I do is, uh, you know, doing it through FaceTime and just eating a meal together. And it sounds kind of weird, but, but you get used to it. And it's so powerful even to share a meal over the video chat. It it still works. Yeah. What are some of the common, I'm going to say struggles, do you notice the most 
with clients. Like, like I also want to ask a question, which is something I talk about with my recovery coaches is, you know, there's limitations to working virtually. You know, a client can show me their plate and sort of put it down and I might not see it again for a few more. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there, there are things virtually that, that don't translate very well. So one of it is trust. Uh, the client has to, when I say has to really want it, that doesn't mean they want recovery every second, but this is really important support. So what are you finding clients struggle the most with when, when you're doing meal support? Yeah, it, it's, you definitely have an easy way out virtually. You know, there are so many ways to hide things. Um, it's, it's hard. You can't see everything perfectly over video chat. So you're right. I think that element of trust um, in a way, it kind of can bring you closer with your client being able to build that trust together. And I think another thing is just saying, you know, I, it's, I don't care if you don't, you know, finish the meal, if you don't want recovery, if you don't want to do it, that's okay with me. You know, it's, you have to want it. It has to come internally. You know, it is up to the client with how much they want it. And I've, often said wanting it doesn't mean that you always do it perfectly, right? It's still really, really difficult. It's just about showing up in all of your truth, even when the truth is I hid food or I I didn't put all the components in and things like that. You know, I I don't want to make a really hard turn so early into the into the interview but I'm going to make a really hard turn because I think this is really important to talk about. Let's talk about the college environment and the toxicity that happens there with diet culture, with with behaviors in 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 college environments. Like what was your experience like and and what are your what are your thoughts about it? Yeah, college is just, it's so much more of a volatile environment. You have so many new choices um, to make. And I actually read an article, there's a new term. It's not a clinical term by any means, but they're saying drunkorexia. And yeah, and it's talking about people, how you save um, the calories from food in order to, you know, utilize the calories from alcohol instead. And so it's so interesting because obviously we know that's such a a dangerous mix, right? You know, and what that does to your body, it's the anxiety, the depression, everything that goes into that. And I think, and I, when I was reading that, I realized it relates so much to what I did in college too. And, you know, that kind of behavior really runs rampant on all college campuses. You know, I think that the the college environment can be tricky on many levels. First of all, college students are in a very vulnerable, very excited place. It's exciting to be a college student, but you're also, you, like you said, you're out on your own for your first time, you know, and there, so there's a lot more possibilities of things you could do, a lot more things you have access to, you know, you're trying all over again to quote unquote, fit in with a group and find your, your niche and find where you, where you fit in and things like that. And so it's, it's a tough, tough environment. And I work with a lot of college students who I I can't even tell you whether they have eating disorders or disordered eating, meaning the client's friends. I, it is, this client of mine is bombarded. 
her friends are saying things all the time about their weight. And if we eat this, then we can't eat that. And, you know, we better right. go to the gym tomorrow. And, you know, oh, we, you know, we're going to eat a lot over the weekend. So we're going to restrict during the week. And she said to me, Karen, it's, oh, it's nearly impossible to recover in a college environment. What do you suggest, Merit? Absolutely. I mean, it's so tough. It's that mob mentality, you know, when you're with a group of girls and especially I say girls because, you know, especially young women, this is who it really affects a lot. And so it, it's hard to go off and, you know, want to do your own thing and, you know, have your dinner, you know, not, not have dinner in order to drink more. Right. And so I think what we need is we need to take better care of our students. We need, you know, peer support groups and we need coaches on campus. Um, we need better nutrition programs. I didn't even, I don't even think I knew that we had a nutritionist when I was in, in college. So do you help students throughout college? Like, do you do, a, do, let me say this again. Do you have a lot of college students? Because I also know that one of the things that's complicated for some of my clients is that they feel that, that they don't have privacy to do a meal session with a, a coach. So how do you work around that? How do you help them? Right. And that's hard because everyone is, you know, most people are in dorms or you have sweet mates. So it is kind of complicated to do a meal session like that. And I, I think though, kind of anywhere you are, you can find a private space, whether, you know, if you have your car, you can drive off campus. If you don't have your car, it's about, you know, bring your AirPods, you know, get creative, go to the the back of the, the dining hall, have your AirPods. And, you know, you can pretend like you're having a conversation with a friend, right? It's not like who you're doing meal support with is asking you these really private questions. You know, that's not the point of, of the meal support anyway. So I think you can always find a way you just, you and your coach or you and your therapist, you have to get creative with that, but it's hard. It's definitely, it's definitely a challenge. Do you feel that colleges are getting more toxic with eating disorder environments with regards to TikTok and Instagram and things like that? Or do you feel things are improving? What are, what are your thoughts as someone who quite honestly, was in college just about five years ago and, you know, and had your eating disorder. So say a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. I'm actually only, I think I'm about almost three years graduated. So even closer than that, but I would say it's just as toxic, if not more, you know, there's new social media, there's TikTok now. And, and I think that I haven't seen any big improvements on college campuses in terms of taking care of eating disorders, early prevention, education. And that's exactly what we need. You know, those in the, I think where I went to school, we had wellness classes that you had to take. I think that's how it is like all over college campuses, right? I went to college 30 years ago, so I don't think they had (laughs) wellness classes back then, but I'm not the right person to ask. (laughs) Yeah, it's your form of like health classes, physical education, whatever. And that's where we need to insert the eating disorder education, you know, prevention. How do you identify it? How do you treat it? Also, you know, it's, it's so tough, you know, you can develop an eating disorder while you're on co- while you're in college, but even coming into college, there's still so many people who come in having that disordered eating that you know gets completely exacerbated by the the new environment that they're in as well. How do you help 
or how do you bring in other family members or do you not? Like what's your, how do you advise clients? Like, by the way, some clients don't even have to let their parents know what's happening because Mm -hmm. they're at school, which by the way, doesn't help them in any way. So what, how do you work with families and things like that? Absolutely. I think family-based treatment, I mean, that's such an important aspect, having, you know, the support of your parents, your siblings, whatever. And I think you kind of make that known early on, um, whether it's in your consultation, whatever, just asking them to be able to have permission to speak with their parents about this so that everyone can be on the same page and you can have as much support as possible. Because, you know, otherwise you're just relying on your client to just talk to you about this, you know, this stuff. But, you know, you need to talk to your family. You need to be able to talk to your friends. Reaching out is so important when you have an eating disorder. I also want to say families don't always know that they're saying triggering things or doing triggering things. And so sometimes it's, it's also about educating people that, you know, we live in a world that's so diet obsessed and, and body and, and, you know, whatever it is that that seems to be the normal way of talking. And, and I've had to say to parents all the time, like, no, 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 you don't, we need to take this language out and put it in, put different words in, put different language in, as opposed to fat, weight, calories, you know, carbohydrates, what, you know, like the mom who's like, you know, and oh, forgive me, everyone. I don't even know why I just said the mom. Absolutely anybody, <laughs> the person who says in front of their children, like, you know, well, I'll eat this today, but then I have to go to the gym tomorrow, or I can't have, I can't have the pizza because I had sandwich for lunch. And so mom's going to have a salad. Like, Right there, we're giving, or dad is going to have a salad. Right there, we're giving people this message that you always have to be very careful about what you're eating. And everything right. is also determined with what you ate before or what you're going to do the next day. Or That's not, that's not it, right? Right. And it's, it's hard because there's, there's two sides of that one, you know, you don't want to put any blame on the parents. You know, no one's an eating disorder expert. I mean, (laughs) besides the people who are, but you can, you know, you can't expect your parents to be experts on this. And so, but on the other hand, it's, you know, you need to raise your children practicing, loving your body, loving your body, not saying things like, well, if we eat this now, we have to have a salad later. Right. And it's just so ingrained in our minds. It's nobody's fault, uh, you know, besides diet culture itself. But we need to practice, you know, showing that that love for our bodies. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with oscillating in between restricting and then binging and purging? Or if we want to say anorexia and bulimia, like what I, I, I think it's an important message for people to hear, especially When I've said to clients, you are setting yourself up by such severe restriction to eventually binge. Right. Tell, say a little bit about what your experience was like. It's a vicious cycle. Um, That's just, you know, that's the perfect way to describe it. It really is. You know, I would restrict for so long that eventually you have this terrible hunger that grows. And then, you know, you have to, it's either a binge or I guess I don't want to get into like the grim details of it. You know what I mean? But it's a vicious cycle and it's exactly what you said, you know, oscillating back and forth and 
you just have to fight. You have to learn to fight that urge. And even just doing it once, fighting the urge to purge, you set yourself up to maybe think about not doing it the next time, you know, until eventually those become fewer and far in between until, you know, and then, you know, one day you might find yourself recovered, but it's, it is such a vicious cycle and it's so hard to stop that that one time, but that's really what it takes. Um, the collection of small moments to lead to a path to recovery. That's exactly it right there. The collection of small moments that leads to the path of recovery. And I, I tell people to it, you know, even waiting 10 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe next time you'll wait 30 minutes. Maybe the next time you won't do it at all. That's exactly what I say to clients. I say sometimes interrupting the process doesn't mean it's going to stop it from happening, the behavior, but it could lessen the intensity. Right. And so whatever that interruption does, and like you said, to the point that it eventually eliminates the behavior altogether. It's very difficult. Easier said than done, right? Easier said than done. And it's so hard to see that when you're in it, that you not waiting or not doing it this one time is going to lead to recovery at all. It's so hard to see that. And I completely, you know, I get that. And so I always tell people too, I'm like, I get that. I've been there, but I promise you it's worth it. Did you have your family involved? Because we were just talking a few minutes ago about bringing the family system in. And so how was your family involved in your, in your recovery process? I did. Yeah. My mom was really kind of the, the touch point for me. She was the one who kind of set up the, um, where I was receiving treatment, my recovery in general. Um, and my mom has been so amazing. She's like the one person who's really helped me through all of this. And now she's like made it her life mission to, you know, read every book, get all of the education that she can. And so it was immensely helpful to me just having that support. Um, and not to say that if you don't have that support that you can't recover, because I also want to make that clear. I know a lot of people, you know, they might have strained relationships with their family and that's okay too. You can absolutely recover. Um, but for me, that was huge having my mom, my mom there to help me. Yeah. The other thing I say is we can create the family system that we want. And so, you know, you may have a strained relationship with your family, but you can still have close people in your life that you consider family that, that come, when I say are in place of that, that provide that emotional support. They're there for you. Because I also want to say some family situations are not even safe to disclose certain things. And that has to be honored as well. Absolutely. And family, you know, obviously it looks different to everyone, you know, it could be close friends. And I think that's why just the concept of reaching out to whoever, you know, whoever you consider family, but you need to have that support. You need to learn to build your support system. You can't, you know, keep everything bottled inside forever. Do you ever get triggered doing this work? You know, it's, it's a lot of hands-on work. Um, and I'm just wondering what, what, comes up for you? And if you do, how do you navigate through that? Yeah, that's such an interesting question because I remember, I think someone had asked me that a little bit ago and the thought had actually being triggered had never really come into my mind at all doing this kind of work. And I think it's because when you get to a point of, you know, accepting your body and loving your body and loving who you are and having that food freedom, 
I don't know if you can get triggered or at least that hasn't been my experience at all. You know, if anything, it just makes me feel so sad, you know, because I remember when I felt that way, I felt like I had to restrict, I had to purge. It makes me feel so sad when a client is describing that urge because I know that you don't have to. And I feel so confident in where I am and who I am today now. You know, it's interesting because clients have had asked me that, have asked me that in the past. And the thing is, is that my experience doing this work for as long as I have, I don't get triggered by eating disorders, but I do get visceral reactions sometimes from clients' stories because I'm a human being. And so if their narrative has something similar to do with my past, I can feel it heavy in my body. That's just being human though, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, but it's interesting. Clients used to ask me that all the time. And, and I also would often say, I am never, ever again in my life going to think that an eating disorder behavior is going to solve anything. So mm-hmm. no, I'm, I'm not triggered by this. Yes, that's, that's what I should have said, you know, knowing that that behavior isn't going to serve me in any way, right? But I love that you mentioned, you know, you're not necessarily triggered by an eating disorder behavior, but maybe, you know, by something else. Yeah. And I think, you know, to your point, yeah, I mean, I definitely get stressed. I definitely, you know feelings of anxiety can come up, but um, no, definitely never triggered by an eating disorder behavior specifically. How do you, how do you work with clients? Like, do you set up, I mean, and, and by the way, this isn't like, you know, selling your, your, your services, but like, how do people start with recovery coaches? I mean, they know mm-hmm. how to find a dietitian, they know how to find a therapist. What do you do for a recovery coach? And do you do an assessment? And then do you give them a do you do you get their meal plan and then say i i need to be in touch with your dietitian and your therapist like say a little bit about the process yeah absolutely and the cci program really sets you up in order to know how to do all of this how to start out with a client and so I do have the intake form where I have a lot of questions clients can um, answer about themselves, you know, specifically what they're struggling with. I definitely make it a point to reach out to therapist, dietitian, whoever else is on their team so that we're all on the same page because that's so important just to, to have the support of everyone else so that, you know, I'm not saying one thing and someone else is saying another, but yeah, getting the meal plan, helping them with that. Um, that's all really important at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And how do you do things like, say, go to a supermarket with a client now that we're doing so much virtually? Are you able to still do things like that? Like, you know, I, I do have recovery coaches that actually still do FaceTime through the supermarket with, with the client. Like, how do you do it? Yeah, that's great. I actually haven't um, done the FaceTime walking through the, the grocery oh, yeah. store yet, which, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's great. I, I have done, like I said, a lot of virtual meal support, you know, where we'll both jump on FaceTime and we'll have a meal together, um, stuff like that. It's really, it sounds so weird, you know, saying that having a meal together on FaceTime, but it's still, it really isn't, it isn't that much different than doing it in person besides that aspect of trust that you were talking about, you know, trusting them not to, not to hide anything. You know, it's interesting because recovery coaches are not limited by any like working in particular states, right? Through licensure. And so recovery coaches have been working virtually 
for a long time, even prior to the pandemic, because there are times when you're working with somebody in another country, in another state, on vacation. And so it's kind of funny how, you know, now everything is virtual, but prior to the pandemic, that was not unusual. Yeah. And and it won't be unusual after the pandemic as well. You know, this is, people have been doing this kind of work for so long. And I, I absolutely love that part of it, being able to, you know, you know talk with a client from Costa Rica, you know. <laughs> um, Which listeners do not know, but I'm going to tell everyone Merit is in Costa Rica right now. And it is gorgeous because I can see from behind her <laughs> this beautiful like greenery and all that. So anyway, while well, I'm sitting in Boston and I think it's 14 degrees out. Oh, gosh. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure this is going to be aired in the summertime as I'm saying this, but <laughs> <laughs> just remember everybody winter was here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the virtual aspect, it's so amazing. And you definitely can still build a great relationship with your client. Obviously, there's perks to being in person, you know, being able to read body language better, stuff like that. But um, the virtual support is is so amazing. And it's definitely, it, you, can, you can definitely still get great benefits from virtual. Are you noticing more struggles as a result of the pandemic? Are you noticing uh, more, more clients reaching out to you for support? Are you noticing clients needing more supports than just maybe some, I, I used to have a client that works with one of my recovery coaches who had, for a while was doing two meals a week as the pandemic got more and more intense. They ended up having to do seven days a week, a meal every day, because that client needed to have breakfast every morning with the recovery coach in order to get the day started or else she wouldn't eat breakfast and then she would start the day in restriction. And so I've noticed as a result of the pandemic, struggles have intensified. What what have you noticed? Yeah, I've done that too. A meal every um, part of the day, you know, waking up and being able to do a meal together. And it's hard because obviously the pandemic has led to a lot of isolation. Whereas people that would normally be with their friends, which wouldn't allow them to restrict or purge, now they find themselves in isolation where that behavior is, it's a little bit easier to engage in. And so I think that's been, you know, the isolation has been the hardest thing. What do you think are some of the things that students and their parents need to do to get sort of ahead of this toxic environment. What are some things to prepare students prior to going to school? How how do you see that working? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it is so important to learn nutrition, you know, basic nutrition. It's amazing how many people don't don't have that, don't understand that, you know, learning about the gut microbiome health. I'm sure that you talk about this a lot, right? And I think it's important to, while you're in high school, before you come into this college environment, to talk about body image, you know, have a real conversation with whoever it is, your family, you know, your therapist, and talk about what it means to love your body, what it means to have aspects of self-care in your your daily routine, you know, meditation, breath work. This is all stuff that needs to be so much more common. Yeah. I think we just, we also and you 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 said this we we need to educate people on emotional health like ongoing like you know being guided by your own sense of self as opposed to the rest of the world which again easier said than done i'm 
52 years old. And I feel like just in the last 10 years, I've been able to like listen to myself and guide myself. And, you know, we're all very heavily influenced by peers, by media, by things that are going on in the world. And so what I would always recommend is that also parents and students just always have an open dialogue. Like parents, I want parents to let their their children know that uh, they can call at any time and say, I don't feel good about myself or nobody likes me and it hurts. I don't have anyone to sit with in the dining hall. Somebody bullied me. Whatever it is, it's that dialogue because it's the swallowing of all this emotional trauma that starts leading to behaviors because you get so full with emotional dysregulation that you need something, some kind of coping skill. So you go to the eating disorder. So I think open communication, just about everyday mental health is so important. Absolutely. And I, you know, just even having the conversation of what what are you going to do when you're really stressed so that it doesn't lead to drugs, alcohol, eating disorder behaviors, you know, what does your, what does your self-care routine look like? What is it, what does it look, what does your team look like morning and night? You know, yep. what are you going to do for yourself? How are you going to take care of yourself? These are such important questions that we need to have the answers to before, you know, we're thrown into this environment where there's going to be so many new challenges that we've never faced before. And also doing it ahead of time, because sometimes it's really hard to internalize these, these things you're going to do, these healthy coping skills when you're in crisis mode. So that's getting ahead of it. You know what I mean? Like before you don't, you don't say to somebody when they're in the middle of a crisis, like, you know, have you tried meditating? Have you tried journaling? At that point, they're, they're so dysregulated. And so again, it's like having these conversations ahead of time are so important. And I want to say, this is not just for women. This is men, women, non-binary, trans. Like there isn't anybody who is immune to an eating disorder, low self-esteem or low self-confidence or anxiety. And so, you know, this is a message for everybody to have. Absolutely. And it's it's so important, you know, finding that that self-love, finding your your self-esteem too is so important, you know, having that when you come into college, when you're in this new environment, like I just said, you know, I'm repeating myself, but it's so it's such an important concept that we don't talk about enough mental health, you know. And it's it's interesting. I I realize as we're sitting here having this conversation. I don't myself talk about the college environment that much, which is so interesting because my behaviors got exasperated when I was in college. And that's when I was taken out of school. To, right. you know, so as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, why have I not had this, this before on the podcast talking about college? And I, I think there's something that you said that now that I'm reflecting back, it is very important. It's the first time, at least for me, that I was out of parental guidance and I could do whatever. If, you know, by the way, I, I literally went on a diet. I was feeling badly about myself, went on a diet, thought the diet was going to be the trick. And the next thing you knew, when I say the next thing you know, went you know, head head first into an eating disorder. I didn't have anybody watching me because 
my my parents know or knew or my siblings or friends would know. Like, that's odd. Karen never skips lunch. You know what I mean? But now I'm in a new environment. And nobody knows this. Yeah. And it really, it is next thing you know, because it, it creeps up on you. You know, one thing leads to another and you're, you are fully in the eating disorder and you can't stop. I feel this is so wild. It, when you say it is kind of like before you know it, I feel like I have two or three images from college. One is I remember exactly where I was when I said to myself, nothing's going right in my life. I can't control anything. My whole life I've wanted to lose 10 pounds and I'm going to do it. I'm finally going to take control. I remember exactly where I was sitting and the conversation I was having on the phone with somebody else while these thoughts were going through my mind. And I swear to you, I feel like the next thought I had is I'm sitting on the stairs. So I I went to school in Boston. So some of our classes were in these like beautiful brownstones. And, and so I remember sitting on the brownstone stairs with my professor and say, and crying and saying, I'm being taken out of school. I'm taking a semester off. I have an eating disorder. Like, I feel like I remember the idea of when I wanted to start a diet and fast forward, the next thing you know, I'm being taken out of college. It, it is sort of sometimes like, wow, how did that happen so fast? But it can. That's scary. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back to that, what we were talking about, the collection of small moments that also leads up to the eating disorder as well as leads to the path of recovery, right? Yes. Yes. I remember yeah. it's, I remember kind of similar to what you were saying, you know, the first time that I tried purging, I was in the bathroom stall at my high school and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to do it one time. You know, I'm just going to like do it one time. That's it. And you know, ex- what we were saying, one thing leads to another. And it wasn't just that one time. No, no, it was, it was like that for me with laxatives. I purged through laxatives. And so, and I literally just was like, oh, I'm just going to do it once. I, I feel like I'm, <laughs> Merit, there's something about talking with you that I'm having this like movie in my mind of like my college years of when this was all happening. <laughs> but it's true. I was like, oh, just this one time I'm going to try, I'm going to do it because I, I, I felt like I, in my own perception, I had had too much for what I had allowed myself. And I abused laxatives for years, years. And, and I think that's a really important comment that it is like getting hooked on it. You, you do it once. Like, this is why I say, don't even try. <laughs> don't even go there. And when people say, oh, but I'm just doing this or what? Nope. Because you never know when something is going to become a habitual, maladaptive coping skill. When the first time I bought a box of laxatives in a million years, I was never like, this is the new thing that I'm going to incorporate into my life. Yet it became the new thing I incorporated in my life. Right. Of course. So don't even try it. And I think the problem is that we don't have enough education on what this leads to, you know, yes. what, what, any, how it destroys your life, this eating disorder, you know, because when I first, you know, tried engaging in eating disorder behaviors, I don't think I had enough education on, you know, what life looks like really, really looks like with an eating disorder. Yeah. And it really, really looks awful. Right. <laughs> like I had this, I had this glamorous vision of what it looks like. It's awful. It's awful. And period. Nothing more to say. Right. Right. 
Oh my goodness. Merit, I, I feel like we could go on for so long, but we're starting to, we're starting to wind down. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you wanted to share, or is there something that you just wanted to talk about that hasn't come up yet? You know, I think we, we've hit on so many, so many good topics, especially relating to the college culture, but I think anyone listening if you're struggling, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, as, as long as you deeply want it, if you, you keep trying and you stay on that path to recovery, you will absolutely make it. I agree. Those little steps start forming into a great recovery process. So Merritt, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart and thank you for taking the time while you're in beautiful Costa Rica to have this conversation. So I just wanted to thank you for being here. Yeah, this has been great. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. All right, everyone. That does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at Recovery Bites Pod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast signup to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.